0: Thank you, and enjoy today's message.
1: Another uh, message down in the going beyond Jesus um, conversation. Um, let's see if we can. I don't know how long it'll take. I just got some things to share there. Um, also, huge thank you for those who've been visiting Barbara. You know, particularly while we've been away. Um, I know she appreciates it greatly, and she's hoping to be uh, be back in a couple of weeks, if possible. So, yeah, cool. so that would be nice. We've uh, we've missed her, bless her heart. Um, yeah, and um, don't want to take any time up front to talk about Salt Lake. Some of it is it's just you know an ongoing part of the journey. So, if we've got some time at the end, if Chris wants to say anything, that's fine. Um, but as I said to you Saturday, we we certainly had a. Um, a very timely weekend, the weekend before last, in, in Valley View, Texas, which was great. Had a big turnout of people hungry to hear, which is also nice because um, um, what we are teaching to some people, the hackles go up immediately because, you know, um, they don't like to have their devil messed with or their hell, you know, or their God of judgments, which. I mean, it fascinates me. I mean, it disappoints me and fascinates me that the very things I would hope there would be a question about um, so that the masses of humanity might have better hope is the very thing that the evangelical religious system doesn't want you messing with. And it's like, well, that's, that's a bit odd to me. Uh, but then that's why I can see that, um, that you know, the, the Pharisees, the religious crowd, didn't get on with Jesus too well because uh, he was always messing with that so anyway let's just let's just pray father we we're here you're here you're in us you're part of us we're part of you uh inseparably and uh just ask that in the fullness of that that you will um speak to us in us through us uh, around us and and help us to understand some more of of what is this uh, more beautiful gospel in jesus name all right so um this is the third part of the going beyond Jesus. I'm not going to reiterate the other stuff. It's all available online. You can go back and listen to it. If you're not sure about anything, you can also come and ask. If you remember, we talked a lot about the um, the 42nd generation. Now, Matthew 1 talks about 42 generations, but you've reached Jesus in 41. And um, Numbers 33 talks about the children of Israel's journey from where they were stuck to where they were supposed to be. And there's 33 camps. And the 33 camps bring you to the Jordan. Uh, Jesus' life changed at the Jordan. That's when he became the Christ, because Christ means anointed one. That's when the Holy Spirit came on him. And, uh, and so Jesus became the Christ. So we talked about the two, the two generations in one man. And um the fact that actually we if we are to fully appreciate and understand our um, our fullest interaction with the divine, then we have to go beyond Jesus, which doesn't make Jesus irrelevant it doesn't mean that that what Jesus did wasn't important, it was vitally important, very important and we'll we'll again talk a little bit about the equation of Christ and Jesus um in here, but what it does mean is that um that when you actually get your eyes open, begin to look at Scripture, you realize that actually the conversation is about the Christ. You know, Jesus is part of that journey, so there's something to discover is the point. Something to find, something to experience. So, so tonight, what I'd like to do, just just um, for however long it takes, um, I'd like to make a series of propositions um, along with my reasons for making them that come out of some of the thinking about, about, um, about going beyond Jesus and the Christ or the cosmic Christ. Um, so, uh, let me start with my first proposition. The first proposition is that all things carry the divine DNA. Yeah. All things. That's not what I was taught. It's not what I was raised with. I was raised with a separation theology that said everything became separated from God, which, from many, many aspects of reasoning, um, if you think about it, and that is true, then one act of one man at one time in one garden over one piece of fruit was able to so overrule the presence the expression the significance the rule of god that actually you start to think which was the more powerful no. which, which had the greater leverage the word that made everything or this one mistake by one man at one place at one time in the annals of history which which was most powerful You know, because we claim everything was made by him and his word was powerful, but now all of a sudden, all that's disrupted by one act. Now, again, don't, don't misunderstand me by saying that the story of what happened with Adam has no importance or relevance, because it does. Talk among yourselves. We'll take that off if we're not using it okay, there we go so there's no denying that you know it, it, it is a notable event and therefore it is noted in the process of scripture, but the power that we 've given it would seem to me now at this point in my journey to be extremely unreasonable and um, and that somehow then God needs 4,000 years to fix that. You see, see the... Because that, and I'm, again, I'm, I'm using rough, rough time measurement, approximately, roughly from that time, which may or may not be right. Let's call it 4,000 years would be the common in, in, in the evangelical world. 4,000 years then before we can kind of fix it, but it's not fully fixed. It's only sort of fixed and uh, and then it becomes dependent upon your choices again as to whether this thing that was the fix that took 4000 years to do actually worked now i have to say i just can't believe that anymore i just cannot i cannot buy that proposition about what this is about what what i do believe and this is my proposition is that all things carry the divine dna which completely changes the picture because because what it says is what we've been looking at with the Christ, that, that he, is, he made all things and he is in all things. So, so I made this quote on, um, on Sunday. If you believe there is one God and that God is the creator of all things, which I think we would say we do in here, that in him we live and move and have our being, from Acts 17, then all things carry the divine DNA. You, you can't get around that. So, so that scripture in, um, in Acts 17 says this, from verse 28 of Acts 17, for in him we live and move and have our being. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. Now, here's one of my questions. So is that scripture or is that not scripture? Because even the first statement, for in him we live and move and have our being, is nowhere anywhere else in the Bible other than here so it's not a quote of something that an Old Testament prophet said in fact I would propose that both of these are what some of the Berean prophets that they had understood what what their poets had written and said but we have it written by Luke in the book of Acts uh, in what we would know as scripture so is it scripture and if it's scripture why is it scripture because God didn't say that their poets said that we know their poets said that do you see where I start to question and have some some reasoning about what we were told about things and how we piece it together now now because I believe the DNA of God is in all things I think that's a great statement I don't care whose poet said it I don't care if it was a, you know, if it was a, a, a Greek philosopher. I don't care if it was a, a, a Greek holy man. I don't care if it was a Hindu. I don't care if he was a Buddhist. And neither did Luke evidently, because Luke captures this and said, "This is a great statement. In Him we live, in Him we move, and in Him we have our being. And as some of your own poets have said, we are His offspring." Verse 29, therefore since we are God's offspring, which is interesting because he is now making a definitive statement from a quote of a non-biblical poet, why? Because he's right and Luke's saying, Do you know what? He's right. See, another thing I was raised with is that there was no truth outside of scripture in fact, not just that, but there was no real truth outside of the particular group to which I belonged. So, you know, Pentecostal Assemblies of God, for me, was where the whole truth was. Other people just had a bit of truth, but they were kind of lacking. And of course, whichever denominational group you would go into, or whichever stream, you would find that they would have the same attitude, You know, we've we've got it. We've got the understanding. We, We know how to open the Bible. So here we've got Luke, who wrote the book of Acts, quoting some poets from the people that he's talking to and then declaring his heart is that they're right, so here's the truth. Therefore, since we are God's offspring, we should not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image made by man's design and skill. I like this. In the past, verse 30, God overlooked such ignorance. What was the ignorance? The the ignorance of thinking that we were not all God's offspring. That was the ignorance. Not just the ignorance of making idols. It was the ignorance of not understanding that in him we live and move and have our being and we are his offspring. I love this, he said, God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. Now, another thing I was taught, some of you weren't taught this, but some of you were, so I'm addressing particularly some of you who were. When we read that word repent, of course, we were taking it from the corrupted version of the word because, you see, repentance is not a good translation of the word metanoia. It's a terrible translation of the word metanoia and because of it, it's caused all kinds of problems. Now, you think of the word that's in there, repentance, right? Which came from penance. And penance is what you have to do in order to repay the gods, the divine, the, the, the deity. You do penance in order to pay for. Make reparation for your attitude, your actions, your sins, so that the deity may smile on you because you did penance. Now, we good Pentecostal evangelicals never thought that we were doing penance when we did our repentance, but actually we were. Because, you know, I remember, you know, people used to talk about true repentance. True repentance. What we mean is if you snotted and slobbered and... You know, and wept your eyes red, and 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 wailed and cried out. That was true repentance, but you see, that was really a penance. It, it was no different to to in the Middle Ages and, and, and late Middle Ages of people flagellating themselves with whips. You know, if I just if I just show that this is causing me pain, then God will accept that I'm I'm unworthy, and I'll have to do all this stuff. So 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 Paul's not telling a, a, a um. Uh, Luke's not telling us here that we have to snot and slobber and beg and cry he's saying you need to just change your mind metanoia is a change of mind and actually metanoia is interesting because the two words it's made up from the repentance is, is the thought after Repentance is the thought after. It's the thought that you have after you have encountered something. And he said, when you encounter, what he's really saying, when you encounter that in him we live and move and have our being, and you believe it, you believe that we are his offspring, then then you think differently, right? You have a thought after that, and the thought after that shouldn't be, oh, I can't believe that. The thought after that should be, that's pretty good, that's amazing, so... We are his offspring. In him we live and move and have our being. So the point being that all things carry the divine DNA. Now, you know, I'm not going to expand a lot of these. I'm really giving you these these, uh, propositions and my reason for making them so you can think a little more about them. One other thing I would say about that first proposition is that um, uh, Genesis 1 and 2... fascinating to me, they have been for a very long time, and you all know um, that I don't take them to be an attempt to scientifically describe how the world came into being. Um, and I, I, am, I am convinced they, they fit certain models of ancient writings. And uh, if you were a people of note, you had to have your creation story. Right? You were nobody without your story. This is how things came to be. And it's no different to us telling our own family stories. You know, when I say things like, you know, do you know that my name is a maternal name, Chapman? So I come from maternal and, and then I bore you with the story of my, you know, my, uh, my great-grandmother and the workhouse and, and, and all of that stuff. That, that's a creation story for me, you see. Um, I don't go a lot further back than that for the simple reason that that says a lot about my life, my family, my fatherhood, my identity, my origins. I understand my dad better because of that. Um, I understand our family better. I understand some of my emotional makeup better because of that, because it's it's a creation story. So, So you had a creation story. So for me, it's no big deal, you know. So there are creation stories about the earth coming out of a clamshell. You know, everything came out of a clamshell. You think, well, that sounds really stupid, but that was there. We have to have a story of beginnings. And uh, actually, I think it's it's great, because some of them are absolutely fascinating. You know, it's a bit like uh, um, Smallfoot. You know, we were all, all pooped out of the butt of the great ox. Which is, yeah, I love, you know, just... And as you go around the world and as you go through history, you'll see these stories. So, so my point would be, it really isn't worth all these big arguments about. The question is, what's the point? What is, What is that... What are those people trying to say about their existence, about themselves? What are they trying to say about their connection with the divine? Is there in there somewhere of where love comes up, of where they're appreciated and where they come to a consensus that in him we live and move and have our being and we are his offspring? Somewhere in there there is revelation that touches all cultures. So so in these beginning stories we, you know, where we have... Um, Genesis um, what's interesting is that, that our root story is one of goodness so of all the things that I could interpret to you from Genesis chapter 1 the, the, the point I would raise today is God saw that it was good and he created stuff on the second day and he saw that it was good and we go all the way through to the sixth day And on the sixth day, who got created on the sixth day? Humanity took their place in the process of creation. And what did God say about humanity? He said, it's good. He said, in fact, no, looking at all this, actually, it's very good so 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 the the initial context of our existence in the eyes of god was good and very good now now i also like the fact that, that the word perfect doesn't crop up so we've tortured ourselves with an expectation that god never placed because if, if the idea was perfect, then it would have said, and it was perfect, and it was perfect, and it was very perfect, and therefore you better keep it perfect, but it didn't, it said that's good, that's very good. So we, we only have to live, even in the context of our pressure, we only have to try and live in the space where goodness You know, David says, actually, that's something that follows me. He said, goodness, goodness and loving kindness follows me all the days of my life. So I I just have to let that be what overwhelms me and overruns me. But what we let overrun us is this somehow internal thing that says, God's idea was that I should be perfect and that people should be perfect and everything that happens should be perfect. But God says, this is very good and we'll just see how we go. And so Adam in chapter 3 wasn't, that's not, that's not our story, that's not our beginning. It's not where we come from. In him we live and move and have our being. And we are his children. Now, have we been affected by what Adam did? Y- yeah, we all kind of caught up with, you know, the same kind of difficulties when choices come our way. And we are affected, and there are various things we could say on that. But if we can just get to the premise that if all things carry the divine DNA, then I carry the DNA of God. And when you carry DNA, it means that that you are a chip off the old block. You, you're not just offspring in the sense of, oh, well, you know, we're kind of God's offspring, but only kind of he saved us and we're kind of here and he's there. No, we're actually... Bone of his bone, flesh of his flesh, we're, we're part of him. Just like Eve with Adam, we, we, we are part of who God is. Now, now you may be disappointed in you, and you may feel that God would be disappointed in you, and I get that, because I get those same kind of feelings. But, but, but actually, we are oversensitive to how we think God perceives us and then because we shifted the story out of goodness into failure and then we felt that the objective was perfection, we've then put huge pressure not only on ourselves but on the rest of humanity to get perfect. So then Jesus has to be the one who makes us behave perfectly and it's all about behaviour. Oh yeah, you know, he's, he's made us clean on the inside but we're still terrible. In other words, God loves me because he has to but he doesn't like me when actually God really likes us because he thinks this is good. Now, does that answer all the issues of our human journey? No, it doesn't. But what it does say is the premise is that we have to start in our life, in our understanding of everything and how we deal with one another and how we deal with ourselves that all things carry the divine DNA. Now that also goes to, again, I'm not here particularly to talk about this from an ecological perspective, but everything in our world, if he made everything and everything was made by him, then the truth is all that carries the divine DNA as well. So, So the more we see God in, the more we are able to experience God within. Because of what we 're seeing, so it, it's like it's like the DNA that is in us that is the God DNA connects with the DNA that is in all things, and then we have an appreciation of beauty and of goodness and of life and and the whole flow so that 's my first one. All things carry the divine DNA is my first proposition, and there are some reasons for it. The second one is that we were in Christ before we were in Adam so again um. One of the main thrusts of the way that most of us were raised and the way I've preached and those of you who have been around for any time was, you know, basically that the major influence on our life was Adam. And we had this major struggle because that was the influence. But the truth is that we were in Christ before we were in Adam. Let me read you some verses from Ephesians chapter 1. And uh, I'll go from verse 3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. So we were chosen before creation ever happened. So, So before you could have had any influence upon the choosing, you were chosen. Right, Which means that when you actually popped onto the scene, you had already become the beneficiary of something that happened before you were on the scene. Therefore, your coming on the scene did not change the reality of what had always been, which was that he chose us in him from before the foundation of the world. And he chose us holy and blameless in his sight. So in his sight, we are holy and we are blameless. But we've shifted that to our sight and then we've imposed our sight upon the world and upon people And then we've put them a long way removed from that when actually the truth of the Christ is the realisation that we all stand regardless of our behaviour as holy and blameless in his sight because holy and blameless is not connected to our behaviour because you're back again to what we said about the covenant that God made with himself of which Abraham was a beneficiary. If you didn't make it, you can't break it. And I wish you'd catch that. If you didn't make it, you can't break it. We didn't make a covenant with God at the cross Through the sacrifice of Jesus. He made a covenant with himself. And we're the beneficiaries. We didn't make it. We can't break it. So we stand holy and blameless. So the truth of the gospel in Christ is the realization of our condition as that God sees which is holy and blameless having his DNA and our coming back walking back into that place where we are one and know that we are one with him and everything that he is it says in love he predestined us to be adopted as sons that's what happened afterwards through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding and he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure which he purposed in Christ. So all of this was purposed in Christ. Not in Jesus. It was purposed in Christ. When is this? We were chosen in Him before the creation of the world. So what was purposed in Christ was not purposed when Jesus died on the cross, it was purposed before the creation of the world. And then that's just the story that's unfolding along with that, but the truth is we are called to be in Christ, which means that we are beyond, above, separate from, but influenced by what happened in that moment in history, but what has happened to us is much bigger than a sinner saved by grace, which is where we were raised. It's more than that. I'm not a sinner saved by grace. I am a holy, blameless, chosen person with the DNA of the Creator who came through Christ to a realization of who I really am. And who I always was from the very beginning because what happened before Genesis 3 is more powerful than what happened in Genesis 3. If you catch nothing else tonight, catch that. It was more powerful. Stop giving the Genesis 3 fall more power and the creative word of God that comes to us through the Christ. Okay, my third pro- proposal. My third proposition. Jesus is Christ, but Christ is more than Jesus. Now, again, I have to say to you, none of this is diminishing, belittling, dismissing, excluding the preciousness of Jesus and the work of Jesus and what Jesus was and who Jesus was and what Jesus did and how Jesus showed us to live and the things that Jesus said and the death of Jesus on the cross, which I've told you before I believe was more to do with covenant than, than cleansing and the resurrection of, of Jesus. This, this is not undermining or, or replacing that. What it's doing is absorbing that into a bigger story. See, if, if we're not absorbed in the bigger story, I come back to what I said earlier. God's waiting 4,000 years to try and pitch in to do something about the problem that was created by this one man doing one thing in one place all these years ago. And that somehow, God somehow manages to squeeze a little spot in there where he can turn up and then that becomes the, the sole important thing On which everything rests, rather than saying no, that was part of a bigger picture of the revelation of the Christ, that then the Christ manifested as Jesus, and Jesus was the Christ, but he came as man called born Jesus called Christ, and that then the Christ goes beyond just the work of Jesus, because Jesus the man, the human, is absorbed into the bigger picture of the Christ who was always there and who always will be there. So, so, so Jesus is Christ, but Christ is more than Jesus. The, the way I would put it is this, is Jesus is the incarnate revelation, but Christ is the transcendent reality. Right, so, so the Word made flesh, Jesus, when, when the Word comes as Jesus and Jesus is born and we have the incarnation, Jesus is the incarnate expression of this, but Christ is the transcendent reality. The transcendent means that it transcends more than that. It goes all the way forward, all the way back. It goes all the way up and down and around and across. The, the, the Christ who is in all and is all. Okay, So... So let me, let me give you my reasoning for that. Colossians 1.17 He is before all things and in him all things hold together. This is not talking about Jesus. This is talking about Christ. For by him all things were created things in heaven and on earth visible and invisible. Isn't that interesting that there are how invisible is invisible, and how visible is visible? Because we would say there are things that are visible that are not visible to us because we need a microscope or a telescope, and are they invisible? but Or are we talking invisible about what the Celts would talk about, the, the dimension of, they would call it the unseen. And I think, you know, invisible is a good English word but but it it says certain things to us unseen probably would be a better way of us grasping it the seen world and the unseen world because to some degree if, if God is spirit then there is an unseen aspect to the divine presence that is just as real as if it were seen but we've become so geared to the visible world that we become insensible insensitive to the invisible we become insensitive to the unseen that is just as real as the seen and you know there are times when when you see the unseen I mean you know just one example I would give you is, is the day that I was with my father just you know uh, day or two before he died when I saw these when I saw these two figures come into the room and stand at the end of his bed, and um, you know, I would say they were tall and they had robes. Now I don't know if that's because that's how my mind needed to construct them because of what I was feeling. If you see what I mean, you know, it's a bit like it's a bit like if you were to draw what it is you can't see, how would you draw it? And you say, well. You know, you might think, well, that's a silly question, but actually it isn't. Because that's what imagination is. You know, how many times have you heard a noise and you imagine something, an image, a picture comes to your mind. There's nothing that you can see, but the noise has triggered something and now you have an image. See what I mean? So it's not that far-fetched. So, so that's, how, that's how my mind translated what I was seeing. Now, of course, the point was, and, and many of you, or most of you have heard this story before, my father at that time, was, he was half comered, half not, you know, with the, with the morphine and the medication. But when, when he was lucid the next day, you know, he turned to me and said, said hey lad, he said, the a strange experience. I think it was yesterday, but these two fellas came in and stood at the end of the bed, one there and one there. Now, we'd had no conversation, but, but I was, it was as real as if it were you, who came in and stood at the end of the bed, the unseen. So so within the understanding of the the Christ who is, because he is more than Jesus, there is an aspect that you can't pin him down to Jesus, but there's some of, something about us that would like to pin the whole thing down to Jesus because he's a man. And then we can kind of limit it to the conceivable because now... Without realizing it, we've reduced all this to A man. And then, of course, we have the image of and you know some of the biblical writers are, are responsible for this of you, know, the, the, the idea of, of, of God having a long white beard sitting on a throne and being a man you know which we've all had that image and of course you know if if we're from the caucasian west is 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 fair-skinned blue-eyed blonde hair. um you know ridiculous when you think about it but i understand it's a, an attempt to explain we we then do that because we and it's a word Chris and i talk about this we 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 anthropomorphize the creator now that simply means you know anthrop- anthropology is the study of of man so if we can if we can if we can imagine him and we can and we can we can place him within a context that is very human we feel more secure but the problem is then because of that we by definition have to begin to limit him and constrict him because now it's, it, it's, it's it's become human more than it has divine. And part of what we're trying to do with you is trying to say we need to shift it more to divine and spirit to where we realize the bigness, the greatness, and where this seeps into. You know, even the fact that if it's human, I don't understand the issue of of, totally being one with someone in the sense of... of of you know Christ in me, you know the, the the absorbed and consumed as well as being identifiable and outside of, and all these kind of mystical ideas which which are not crazy they 're they're they're an attempt to step out of the human dimension and say, No, look the, the, the whole reason the Christ thing is pushed is because it 's saying, Is Jesus real? Yes, he is was Jesus born?" Human, Yes, he is. Was he our representative? Yes, he was. But if you stop there, something will limit you to a human level and then you'll interpret everything that he did from a human perspective. So then we look at the cross and his sacrifice totally from a judicial system that we understand. Oh, you know, here's the rules. We broke the rules. The judge must judge the people for breaking the rules. But... You know, we will have a scapegoat sacrifice to come in and do that. Now, there is some truth within that, but it's a very limited truth and not understanding that this goes way beyond that. So, before all things, visible, invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authority, all things were created by him and for him. Okay, so let me give you one of the scripture. I read this to you last time. 1 Corinthians 10 and uh, verse one says, For I do not want you to be ignorant of the fact, brothers, that our forefathers were all under the cloud. They all passed through the sea, and they were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. And they all ate the same spiritual food, this is the children of Israel in their journey through the wilderness, um, 2,000 years before Jesus, they all ate the same spiritual food and drank the same spiritual drink for they drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied them and that rock was Christ, Paul says. So hang on a minute. We, we didn't get Jesus until 2,000 years ago but we're being told that, that 2,000 years before that Christ was with the children of Israel in their journey across the wilderness. So, so Christ has always been and therefore, whatever is in Christ has always been in the world, and whatever expression of Christ that comes through us a certain way through Jesus has never been absent, it's just been experienced in a different way. Now, of course, then you have the other issue that if, if it's not about this divine presence of the Christ who, you know, is, is in all things, made all things you know, invisible, visible. If, if it's not about that and it becomes then just about the anthropomorphic Jesus, um, then you have all kinds of problems about, about cultures that existed outside of Jewish culture, going back before Jesus, and cultures that exist and will exist now that have no access to or knowledge of an expression of jesus that we would say was the one that they should have if god is going to forgive them otherwise basically if you took the you know the evangelical perspective they're all going to hell in a handbasket basically because now of course then we made a we made a reason for that yeah but god will judge them on on what they see around them what they know so that should stop us sending missionaries that shouldn't make us send missionaries. It should stop us. Because what it's really saying is, if God is judging them on their experiences of life, you know, so for the North American Indian, the great spirit in the mountain, or, you know, for the, 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 the guy, you know, in, in, in um, Southeast Asia, the ancestors, or whatever, which we would say is terrible, but if that's his connection with an understanding of an attempt to be one with the divine because it would be awfully crass of us to say they don't love God. Who are we to say they don't love God? They they may be loving God better than you or I to the best of their ability, and I do agree that the goodness of God, the grace of God, the God of Genesis one who says this is good and I'm gonna be able to take care of this, is able to deal with that. But you see, what we said is if we go and tell them you need to give your heart to Jesus, the moment we've told them that, they're in trouble. Because <laughs> if they can't contextualize it and understand it. Now, again, I, I'm being extreme deliberately, okay? So I'm not, I'm not rubbishing off missionaries and missions because I think there's some precious people who've done wonderful things. I'm giving you an extreme to give you the contrast. That yes, it's wonderful to do that, but it can get really silly if we then contract the world into this small thing that says, if we don't do this and these magic words, because, because it's just about Jesus, it is about Jesus, but Jesus is the Christ and the Christ was bigger than Jesus and these people are walking across a desert with no understanding of who Jesus is, but Christ was with them. And when they accepted the miracle of water from the rock, which was the unseen becoming seen, it says they drank from Christ. They had an experience. Do you understand what I'm saying? Might not make sense to you, but so Jesus is the Christ, but Christ is more than Jesus. All right, here's my next proposition. Remaining connected to a law-based belief may join us with Jesus, but it never, but it severs us from Christ. Now, let me explain this. What I mean by a law-based Uh, belief is the one that really is rooted in here's what's right, here's what's wrong. Thou shalt not. Commandments and rules and laws. If you break the rules, then you're condemned and a sacrifice must be made and a sacrifice must be made for each time you break the rules. Now, again, I'm being broad here, so... You know, I understand about Christ, the one-time sacrifice for all, I get that, but I'm I'm proposing things to you to think just a little little further than that. That's what I mean by law-based belief. May join us with Jesus, because the Jesus we were given was the solution to our law-breaking. And so mostly we received that Jesus to avoid the penalty of our law-breaking. So, in reality, for some of us, might not be true for you, for some of us have realized it was never about love. It was about escape. I, I remember, you know, one of the many times of, of uh, as a kid, getting up from bed and shouting my dad from upstairs, um, you know, I want to get saved. Why? Because I don't, I don't want to go to hell, I want to go to heaven. So, so somehow, becoming one with the Father wasn't in the equation of my mind. All that was in my mind is, I don't want to go to hell, I want to go to heaven. Now, I, I, don't, know, I don't know whether I loved God. I, I think I did. And I would say that I did, but I don't know whether that's because I was repeating what I was taught that I was supposed to say, because now my sins had been forgiven and I was going to heaven, so I love God, I love Jesus. Um, You know, that's an interesting concept to me now anyway, you know. But again, I speak from, you know, my personality is a certain type. So some of those things now I've had to question that, you know, I, I don't know whether I was in this because I I saw the wonder of God and Jesus and fell so much in love with that, or whether I thought, hmm, I don't want to finish up in hell forever and ever and ever. I want to go to this heaven place. You understand what I'm saying? And It's actually hard for me, in all honesty, to distinguish and say whether whether my love was genuine or whether it's something I had learned, that now you're saved, you love God, and you love Jesus. so I don't. Do you understand what I'm saying in that my my little struggle now? Please, if you've if you've got an absolute conviction of love for God and Jesus, that it's fantastic. I, in no way, I'm trying to diminish that. But I'm speaking for some others of us who, who, who maybe have found that not quite so clear. Now, I, I would say I have more genuine love for, for God now, and I probably know less what that means than I thought I did then. But I think I, have a, I think I have a love now because I'm not trying to escape anything and I'm not trying to gain anything. I'm just trying to be part of finding what it is that all of this was from the beginning, my choosing from the beginning. Um, you know, the fact that in him I live and move and have my being, that I'm his offspring and I was predestined to be that before I ever set foot on the planet. So so wrestling with that that's why I say remaining connected to a law based belief most often joins us to Jesus because from a law based belief you need somebody to be the bearer of your wrongdoing now there's nothing wrong with that and um, I, I could teach from scripture that Jesus was that so nothing wrong with that we're not getting rid of that but the problem is that's where it tends to stop So our whole idea was, you know, I gave my heart to Jesus, I'm going to heaven. Have you given your heart to Jesus, are you going to heaven? It was never about the transcendent reality of a Christ that is with us and in us and through us and it was never about going anywhere or escaping anywhere. It was about the manifested reality of what Jesus said. and Jesus taught this, your kingdom come, your will be done here on earth like it is in heaven. He was calling us to a bigger experience and I could show you that the most used um, expression that Paul had in the New Testament in fact, he never mentioned the gospel of Jesus, but he mentioned the gospel of Christ. Talked about the gospel of Christ, this gospel. And they talked about the gospel of Jesus Christ, but it was always the Christ element that he was bringing in as the thing. So, so I said that because there's this scripture that, that I think really clar- clarifies my um, suggestion of this, and it's in Galatians chapter five, but I like this best in the New American Standard Version because it uses a word that i think it helps me hopefully helps you here's what galatians 5 says it was for freedom that christ set us free so so the whole thing is freedom it was for freedom that christ set us free now i've said before this is really a it's a weird statement because you know you you would you would just think you would say Christ set us free. Or Christ has given us freedom, but he uses this weird statement that says, it was for freedom that Christ set us free. Or or what he's really hinting at is, is, you are free because of Christ, but not all are in freedom. Even though Christ has made you free, you're not all in freedom. So it's a bit like, you know, The the, the prison doors are open, but you're going to stay sat in the cell. And that's what we tend to do with our humanity. In Christ, the prison doors are open. We're inviting people, come out of your prison. Come out of your Egypt. The prison doors are off. They've been taken off the hinges and and thrown in the pit, and they're not there. Come out of the prison into freedom. It was for freedom that Christ set us free. So there is an obligation upon us... To express and and release freedom. Therefore keep standing firm, don't don't become subject again to a yoke of slavery. Behold, I Paul say to you this must be you know it's got a behold in there, so Behold I Paul say to you now now he's gonna use a picture here and it's gonna be the image because he's he's talking to a group of people where you've got Jewish influence in a Gentile church. So in Galatia, that's not in in Judea, Galatia, you've got Jewish influence, and the religious Jews are trying to impose upon the free Galatians all the stuff that we've been talking about tonight to bring them out of the freedom that is in Christ, right? And only bring them to the... The place of Jesus where you know you just need to realize that, that this and as we've said before we call this Christianity we are not Jesuits we're Christians okay but most people who call themselves Christians are actually Jesuits because they've only come as far as Jesus so so he says behold I Paul say to you that if you receive circumcision you understand what that is no need to illustrate demonstrate Christ will be of no benefit to you And I testify again to every man who receives circumcision that he is under obligation to keep the whole law. Or in other words, there are some things that if we take upon us, it it makes us obliged then to live a certain way, which he called living under the law, all the thou shalts and thou shalt nots. And he says here in, in, uh, he's under obligation to keep the whole law. Verse four, you have been severed from Christ. You who are seeking to be justified by the law, you have fallen from grace. Now, it doesn't mean, you know, our view was if you'd fallen from grace, you weren't saved anymore. What Paul's saying is you have have come to a place where you are now no longer experiencing the fullness of grace. You have fallen out of the full experience of that grace. Because what has happened is in being circumcised, he was saying it's not just the foreskin that's been taken away you've been severed from christ not from jesus you've been severed from Christ. So so when we remain connected to a law-based belief system of right and wrong and good and evil, and where it only takes us as far as Jesus because of the condemnation of the judgment that is on us because we're actually evil, because we're part of the fall and there's nothing good about us, when we live there, Paul says what we're really doing, it's like accepting a circumcision that puts us in that religious position, but what it does, it severs us from Christ. So we can't Ever connect to the fullness of who Christ really is, while ever we have a law based perspective of the gospel, and of the role that Jesus plays in that. I hope that's I hope that's clear for some of you. For we through the Spirit by faith are waiting for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything, but with faith working through love. So I love the fact that that Paul says. Okay, so I've given this illustration, but in all honesty, neither being one thing or the other in practical terms, in what you do, means anything. All that really matters when you catch this is faith working through love. Okay, so let me clarify that one step further. Um, Colossians chapter 2 and verse 16. Therefore no one is to act as your judge in regard to food or drink, or in respect to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath day. Well, I can honestly tell you when I was raised, all of those things <laughs> were judged. I, I even stopped eating black pudding for, for decades because Somebody made it clear to me that, you know, the only instructions that were given from the apostles in Jerusalem was abstain from things, you know, uh, from eating blood and uh, things offered to idols. I didn't have many of those. um, And sexual immorality. So I I abstained from black pudding. Um, Of course, that was the attempt of the leaders in Jerusalem to keep, the Gentile church that was breaking free with the revelation of Christ, subservient to their rules. And uh, Peter had a revelation when he was going to talk to a a Gentile, non-Jewish guy where a sheep came out of heaven with all the unclean stuff in and God told him, rise and eat. And Peter argued with God. He said, I can't eat that, it's unclean. And God said this, don't you dare call unclean what I've called clean. Or in other words, in the full revelation of the work of the Christ, God has pronounced everything that was unclean, clean. Now you might say, that's not right, that can't be right. But it is right because God always calls things as though they are. So he calls them what they really are before they ever become what they could be. And the truth is, I might never be all that I could be, but he's called me what I am, regardless of whether I can be who I could be. Brendan Manning talks a lot about that. You know, and we were judged of, you know, even some people, I I met a couple in Texas, you know, we don't celebrate Christmas anymore because it's part of a pagan festival. I said, all all the more reason to celebrate Christmas. All the more reason, because if Christ is not bigger and stronger and better and something to celebrate, and you've got an excuse to celebrate it, If it's a pagan festival or anybody's festival, brilliant. It's another excuse to celebrate the Christ and that in him we live and move and have our being and we are his offspring. But we had, you know, festivals, new moons, Sabbath days, you know, that's not so bad now. We've let you off a lot and that stuff. But listen to what he says things which are a mere shadow of what is to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. The objective was never about eating, drinking, meetings, churches, stuff. The objective was to find the substance which belongs to Christ. The substance of our faith is the discovery, the full discovery of the Christ. That's the substance of our faith. Let no one keep defrauding you of the prize by delighting in self-abasement, the worship of angels. This is all the hyper-spiritual religious stuff. Taking his stand on visions he has seen, inflated without cause by his fleshly mind, and not holding fast to the head from whom the entire body, being supplied and held together by joints and ligaments, grows with the growth which is from God. If you have died with Christ to the elementary principles of the world, why, as if you were living in the world, do you submit yourself to decrees such as do not handle, do not taste, do not touch? Now, although this was in the Bible, nobody gave me free reign with this. It was all, don't handle, don't taste, don't touch. Why? Because if you do, it'll take you away from the Lord. Well, the truth is, if nothing can separate me from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, then nothing I touched, nothing I tasted, nothing I handled could separate me. But that's not what I was told. So Paul saying when you catch this understanding, and you are not severed from Christ, because you've realised it's not about the keeping of rules and regulations and validating yourself. He says that he says um, uh, that that you um, yeah why do you do this thing? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, which all refer to things destined to perish with use, in accordance with the commandments and teachings of men, not of God commandments and teachings of men now i know for some of you you know and i'm the same i'm i'm not a young kid anymore you think doesn't that make for a whole lot of disorder and the answer is yeah a lot a whole lot of disorder makes for a right mess but the god who made things looked and said this is good this is very good it's not perfect it's very good and the joy is in the journey and the joy is in what we're going to do and Genesis 3 and the events of that one garden thing is not more powerful than the word that I've put into the world it's not more powerful than the presence of the spirit of Christ and yet do we have to wrestle with evil in the world and awful things in the world yes we do do we need to try and act to resolve those and help it yes we do but the problem is if we work from that premise, what we do is we impose that evil on everybody in degree. So everybody's evil, nobody's pure, nobody's clean, nobody's cold. We're all coloured with that when the truth is no. That's where people have gotten so severed from the Christ that our, our issue then is can we unsever them? Can we get back in place the things that they have misunderstood and misrepresented that made them do things to try and solve their issues that are sins against humanity as well as sins against themselves? And that, again, is a big and enduring question. So, uh, verse 23, these are matters which have... To be sure, the appearance of wisdom in self made religion and self abasement and severe treatment of the body, but are of no value against fleshly indulgence. In other words, you will not fix anything by having more rules. What you'll get is compliance. People will comply, but you won't fix anything. It's only fixed by the understanding of that revelation, that, 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 that. Entering into the fullness of the Christ. Okay, enough said on that one. So I've got I've got a couple more little premises. I'll do these quickly. What if Jesus was the vehicle by which grace became revealed, but Christ is the vehicle by which truth is revealed? Let me explain quickly. John 1, 7. This is another proposition. Uh, we're on 5. What if Jesus was the vehicle by which grace became revealed, but Christ is the vehicle by which truth is revealed? Now, I might be wrong on this, but it's a proposition. John one seventeen says, for the law was given through Moses, law singular, Moses singular. But grace and truth, plural, came through Jesus Christ, plural. So, the reason I propose that is is it possible then that Jesus was the vehicle by which grace was revealed, but Christ is the vehicle by which truth is revealed? So if we only come to Jesus, all we ever have an understanding of is grace and therefore, because we've only got an understanding of grace, we only have a concept of sin. And if we only have a concept of sin, we only have a devaluing of ourselves and we have a problem, we're a root problem. But if we get beyond that and have a revelation of the truth beyond grace, there is truth that we have grace through Jesus, but there is a truth of something much bigger and something much better, and that truth comes through an understanding of the Christ, the transcendent Christ, the one who we've talked about was before and is and was in the desert and has been around and is in us and has said things about us which are utterly amazing and made himself accessible to us. Just a thought. This verse intrigued me in John 9.22 when Jesus' parents took him to the, to the synagogue, to the temple, sorry. Here's what it says. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jews. For already the Jews had decided that anyone who acknowledged that Jesus was the Christ would be put out of the synagogue. That's happened to me and it's happened to Chris and it's happened to us. Because we've actually not realized in some of the terminology, we've acknowledged that not just Jesus, but Jesus was the Christ, you get put out of the synagogue. Because even in the context of how we've understood Christianity, you can get into the evangelical synagogue if you stay at Jesus. But once you start to stretch to what we're talking about, of the transcendent cosmic eternal Christ of bigger and more than then you get put out of the synagogue. So I just thought I'd encourage you with that. Uh, <laughs> next next proposition, nearly done. Christ is the divine reboot for all things. Christ is the divine reboot for all things. You know what a reboot is when, when you, you've, got to, you know, you, you've got to switch it off, switch it on or you've got a specific process by which you press three buttons or whatever and... And it goes back, and then you know, Alt-controlled. yeah, all controlled, and then it, it all it, it kind of gives it chance to get rid of the gunk and the junk that's been going on in the background, where it's getting stuck and messed up, and it, it, it gives it chance to come alive again in a more pure form. Well, well, Christ is the divine reboot for all these. Listen, First Corinthians 15:22. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. This revelation of the Christ will reboot your life. Galatians 2.20 I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live. But Christ lives in me. And the life I live in the body I now live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. It's that divine reboot for all things. Colossians 1 verse 19 For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. That's Christ. That's Christ. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds, we've talked about this before, because of your behaviour but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation christ is the divine reboot for all things one of the scripture on that ephesians 1:18 i pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints and his incomparably great power for us who believe, that power is like the working of his mighty strength which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms far above all rule and authority, power and dominion and every title that can be given, not only in the present age but also in the one to come. And God placed all things... Under his feet, and appointed him to be the head over everything for the church, which is his body. So he's the head, we're the body. Where are the feet? On the body. So all things under his feet actually means all things under your feet. Because he is the head, and you are the body, and he has placed God has placed all things under his feet that 's under you, everything is under you, you have a dominion in Christ in life, and it says uh, uh, every, um, placed all things under his feet, appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. you back to the divine DNA in everything. It will cooperate with every human who engages with the fullness of the Christ. Now, you can ask me about miracles, whatever. I don't know, that's something for you to wrestle with, but, but that's what this says. Okay, so here's my last proposition. If the whole earth is full of his glory, which is Isaiah Isaiah 6, verse 3. It says, The whole earth is full of his glory. And according to Colossians 1, 26, 27, the mystery kept hidden for ages and generations is Christ in you. Remember we talked about that. So the mystery that was kept hidden... Because we couldn't get a full concept of it. The mystery is Christ in you. Not Christ in the world. Not Jesus born of a virgin. As far as he's concerned, the mystery is not Jesus was born of a virgin. It's not that Jesus lived a sinless life. It's not that Jesus died on the cross. It's not even the mystery that he rose from the dead. He said the mystery that has been kept hidden, that if you get it will revolutionize you, is Christ in you. That was the whole point the divine DNA. If you get that, that that this thing kept hidden for the generations is Christ in you, the hope of glory, then the world is filled with hope when you manifest the Christ. So if the whole earth is full of his glory and Christ in you is the hope of glory, the world is filled with hope when you manifest the Christ. So our objective is not living a perfect life. Our objective is manifesting the Christ. And we manifest the Christ when we realize we are one with the Christ because there is a mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. That, like, you mean all of that is actually already in me? And the answer to that is absolutely. And you're already in it. And we're consumed. So, in that, we are totally connected and one with. Not just the Father, but we are one with all things because all things have the same DNA. So therefore I become one things. Now now that makes me both the, the, the carer of because they're all part of me but it also makes me the participator with and the sharer within what is part of me so that we are trying to bring people to understand what it is that we are, who it is that we are, and how that is released from within us. So, of course, the big question is how do we do that? And I have no magic solution to that. That's the journey of wrestling. But could it be that somewhere in the truth that God loves things by becoming them, lies the answer? See, if everything has the DNA of God, then in a mystical way God has become all things. The person you meet in the street, God loves them by becoming them. He's part of their life, he's part of their existence. They, they don't realize the fullness of what is going on. Part of our journey is to recognize that DNA, that Christ, and, and to work with that. That's why the Bible talks about love and kindness and generosity and peace and forgiveness, because as we do that, we're helping to connect and release that DNA that's in all things. That all that this is, is unfathomable, and yet readily accessible, is weird. So Ephesians 3.8, he says, to me, the very least of all saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unfathomable riches of Christ. It's unfathomable and yet accessible, and that's what we have to wrestle with. Okay, so I'll, uh, we've done enough time, so I'll, I'll let Paul give the concluding comments from Ephesians 3, verse 14. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner man so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith and that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God." So knowing the love of Christ, which surpasses knowledge, but you can know it, fills you with all the fullness of God. Which is not bad, is it? So that would make Christ the sacred raw material for all things. Who is in all things, and by whom all things exist. And who is in you. And that that is an infective thing. That, that infects our being, our existence, our space, our time, and infects all others as we interrelate with them. So, those are my propositions for tonight. I hope I hope they've been helpful to take the journey a little further. And uh, and we love you. So, I find it interesting that we we're told we can fathom the unfathomable, and we can we can we can know that which surpasses knowledge which says this then has to be something bigger than just it's where that's where within within the whole thing for me is the thing that this is not a this is not a thing you do from outside in this is a thing you do from inside out for me it's a real born again it's a real salvation it's an inside out thing the christ in me now beginning to 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 permeate me first and then spill out onto everything else so no doubt we'll continue this conversation a little further I'd like Chris to share some of her thoughts at some point on on where this is at but um, let that, let that kind of sit in your spirit and, uh, and bring forth life and, uh, and know the DNA that you're of so we're done bless you thank you you've been great listening and we're done